listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. It's good to see you guys tonight. Been a, it's been a crazy week for many people. I've heard lots of stories of different things going on in people's lives and uh, different stuff happening. So it's good to see you. Um, you know, life happens, that's for sure. Good stuff and bad stuff. Last week, we, uh, we ended our time together by checking out a, a scripture. Oh, there it is, right there, James chapter 1. Let's read it together up there. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, and so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing and understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, slow to become angry. Last week when we were talking, we were talking about this crazy idea that trials and trouble can really be an opportunity for us. And when you go through hard times, when you go through difficulties, that when you choose to look at it outside of the scope of it just being miserable and hard and difficult, it can actually be an opportunity. It can actually be something that, that causes us to grow or causes us to get something out of the situation. We talked about this, this little tidbit that it says here about being slow to speak, slow to speak and quick to listen, quick to, be, quick to listen instead of talking. We talked about how we instinctively want to ask why all the time in our life. When things go bad, when things get difficult, we always ask those, that question, why? God, why? Why is this happening? And many times when we get ourselves in that situation where we're asking the question why, we're missing out on the blessing of what God is trying to teach us. Because when trouble comes, there's really two choices that we have. We can either speak or we can listen. We can tune out the voices inside our head that are trying to get us to question everything all the time and trying to make sense of things and trying to understand what's going on. And we can learn how to rest and we can learn how to quiet ourselves, and we can learn how to be still and we can learn how to just say, okay, God, rather than talking right now, I'm just going to quiet myself and I'm going to listen and hear what you have to say. I believe that there are things that God wants you and I to understand that on the surface, are not understandable. I believe that God wants for you and I to be able to go through difficulties and, and somewhere during the journey, sometimes maybe after we get through it and we look back and see it, somehow it makes sense to us and somehow we're able to draw something out of it that's very, very valuable. You know, we were singing a song tonight that says that God makes everything work out for good. You make everything work together for my good. Those words are amazing words because they don't apply to anything else on this planet except for a relationship with God. You know, if you get married and you have trouble and you have hard times, you can't say to your spouse, hey, honey, somehow, some way, I know this is hard right now, but somehow, some way, I'm going to pull this all together for your good. Sometimes it doesn't work together for our good. We look at our, our job situations and all the trials. But God says, no matter what you go through, I don't care how hard it is, I don't care how painful it feels, I don't care how hopeless it looks, somehow, some way, God says, I will make it good for you. I'll make it good for you. Man, 
That's amazing. Everything. Your struggles, your temptation, the sin that we fall to, the things that we involve ourselves in, the addictions that we battle. God says, I will make it good for you somehow. But we got to listen. We have to choose to come to that place to where we listen. And change is hard, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but change is hard. And it seems like it's hard for everyone, especially when you want to predict how things are going to play out and how things are going to go. It's hard for us to allow the possibility for change. You know, as we talk about this story of God and we talk about Jesus coming and invading this dark world where you and I live, we've talked about a lot of different reasons why Christ came. We've talked about the reasons of God being misunderstood. We've talked about the reasons that people on this planet attributed bad things to God. They said, if God is so good, why did he let this happen? God must not be good. And this has happened throughout the centuries. This has happened forever. You and I feel these ways today. We feel all these things. We go, wow, if God is so good, why did this slip past him? And we don't see the big picture sometimes. And so we know that Jesus came into this world to correct that misconception. We know that Jesus came because our Father in heaven was tired of being mischaracterized. And he says, Jesus, I want you to be Emmanuel. I want you to be God with us, God present with us. And so God sent Christ to come and be with us so that we would truly know what our Father was like and what his heart really is like because he had been painted as a bad, angry guy for a long time. And God said, Jesus, you got to go and show him I love these people. You've got to go and show them that I'm crazy about them. You've got to go and show them that no matter what they've done with the world that I created, I want them and I want to be in their life and I want them to know me. But there's another reason why Jesus came that we haven't really talked about and we're going to talk about it tonight. Jesus came to actually force you and I to change. Jesus understood the very character of humanity. And he understood that you and I have a hard time dealing with things in our life. We have a hard time looking at the real situations in our life honestly and being able to see them the way that they really are. And then once we do see them, actually doing something about it. And I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus came was to force you and I to change. There's this, there's this saying that I heard a while ago. A friend of mine told me, and it makes so much sense. And I hope that when you read it, it will make sense to you too. It says, you and I, we will delay making a change until the discomfort to stay the same is greater than the discomfort to make the change. In other words, you and I will stay in a miserable situation that we know is bad for us, that we know is going to end bad, that is just really, really not good. We'll stay there knowing that we can make a change and change the situation that we're in, but we will choose to stay in this miserable state until it gets so painful that we actually look at the choice to change and go, wow, that looks easier. 
That looks better than me just staying here. Because change is hard. Everybody knows that to make a change, it's hard. And yet, when we get to that point where our eyes are open and we look at the change, we go, wow, it would be better for me to just go there than it is to stay right here. Has any of you guys here ever dieted or done the exercise thing? How many of you have ever had that experience where you look at yourself in the mirror and you just go, man, dude, you're not looking too hot. You're not looking too good. But yeah, you know, Twinkie, where are you, Twinkie? I know you're around here somewhere. I mean, we'll stay in that state of living unhealthily until that, until that epiphany hits us, right? For me, it wasn't too long ago when I was laying in bed, and this is kind of personal, but you guys know how I am, and I rolled over to the side, and I kind of had my arm under my pillow, and I kind of had my arm here, and I rolled over to the side, and I felt something on my hand. And it, it wasn't my pillow. And I looked down, and I'm like, whoa, man, where did you come from? I've never felt you like that before. And, and you know, I was like, I'm getting a little of that, that Dunlap, you know, you Dunlapped over the belt. And you can't, you, you just, you got to do something at that point. You're just like, okay, Jason, enough's enough. And um, so I thank God for my iPhone, and I got a free app where I can count my calories, and I'm starting to try to, you know, make a change. But you have to have that moment when your eyes are open and you're just like, okay, I'm ready to do something about the situation. I want to share with you a passage of scripture tonight that's a very difficult passage of scripture for a lot of people to understand. And it's a story, or it's a, it's a, it's a, a teaching that Jesus is giving to a large group of people. Thousands of people are here at this time when Jesus is talking. And Jesus comes to this this point in this conversation with these people where he really needs for them to understand some things, and he starts to use some very, very strong language. And on the surface, when you and I read it, it can almost appear like Jesus is angry or that Jesus is trying to do something that seems not like him. Read with me in the book of Luke, chapter 12 and verse 49. Jesus is talking here, and he says, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish that it was already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. Jesus says, from now on, families will be split apart. There will be three in favor of me and two against me. And he says, or there will be two in favor of me and three against. He says, father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother will be against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower, and you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher, and it is. But you're fools. You know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. Why can't you decide for yourselves what is right? When you're on the way to court with your accuser, try to settle the matter before you get there. Otherwise, your accuser may drag you before the judge who will hand you off 
to the officer who will throw you into prison. And if that happens, you won't be free again until you've paid every last penny. Kind of some strong words that Jesus says here. He says, you think that I've come to bring peace to the world, but I haven't. He says, I've actually come to bring division. I've actually come to bring division even in families. I've come to divide people. We read this scripture and we're just like, I thought Jesus was all about love and, you know, everybody getting along and all this stuff. Where does this come from? My friends, you have to understand something. Jesus came into a world that absolutely 100% was deceived about the truth about God. Jesus came into a world that did not even recognize their need for God. Jesus came into a world, and you and I live in a world today where culture and society and everything that the media and everything will tell you says, I'm fine. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, leave me alone. I'm fine. I know how to take care of myself. In other words, Jesus was coming into a world because they didn't see what was really going on. They saw what they wanted to see. And you and I see what we want to see as well. You see, when Jesus says these statements, he's talking to people who have no idea how sick they really are. And before you and I can ever be healed, we must understand the sickness that we have. Before you and I can ever have the brokenness made whole, we have to recognize the very brokenness that exists. In other words, we have to get to a place to where our eyes are open. We have a lot of friends that come here on a weekly basis that are involved in recovery of some capacity. We've got brothers that, that, that are going through AA and NA. We've got, we've got all kinds of recovery programs going on all around us because we believe in the understanding of where we're at in our journey with God and trying to get healed and trying to get whole. But in recovery, there's this concept, and I'll ask you this question tonight. Have you ever known anybody who was in a state of denial about their situation? Come on now, I mean, that's where most of us live for a long time, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's every day. I mean, you talk to somebody who's in an abusive relationship with their spouse and, and where are they at? They're just going, oh, it'll get better. Oh, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know it'll get better. You talk about somebody that's, that's hitting the sauce too much and they're drinking too much, man, I, I can't. You guys know, everybody is just in this place where they just check out, hey man, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And their eyes are shut to the truth. They're in a complete state of denial about everything that's going on in their life because that's how you and I as human beings cope with the truth that we don't know what to do with. We deny it. If it's true that I'm about to lose everything because I lost my job and I'm not paying my bills, I would rather just turn around and not look at it than face it. I'm in denial that I'm facing 
financial hardship. If my kids are running amok and I don't know how to stop it, I'd just rather just say, honey, how's everything going? You know, I no, no, the kids are fine. No, they're just, you know, no, don't look over there. No, just, just don't look because it's hard for us to face the truth of what we're going through. Something instinctive in our human nature to not want to look at who we really are and where we're at. And Jesus is coming into this situation and he is saying, wake up. Open your eyes. You think that life is great? Jesus is in the situation. And if you read in this story just a little bit longer, he's sitting there teaching to this crowd of thousands of people and they catch wind that one of the, one of the government officials had walked into a church and had innocently slaughtered, executed some people in church in the temple. Jesus is in the middle of this teaching and he hears that this just happened. He's just like, you guys have got to wake up. This world is not okay. This world has been taken hostage and it is not okay. This world has been taken captive by Satan and darkness is everywhere and you have been lulled to sleep to think that you're okay and you're not. And Jesus says, I've come to wake you up. Open your eyes. I've come to show you the truth. In the book of 2 Corinthians, this is a letter written to a group of Christians, a church. And the author, Paul, says this amazing thing. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news or the gospel. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. See, we live in a world where subtly, day in and day out, we are bombarded with messages that tell us you're not sick you're fine. We are bombarded subtly in our ears with, with a voice that says, you can satisfy yourself. You don't need God. You have what you need, whatever it may be, whether it be more money, whether it be a relationship, whether it be, you know, peace in my heart, whatever it is that we put our eyes on, we hear these messages all the time, and we have to stop and understand that the world is under the influence of Satan all the time. It is being influenced by him continually, and he is unleashing his lies, and he is distorting the truth. And Jesus came into this situation, and he says, you have to wake up. I have not come to just pacify. I have not come to just bring peace on earth so that everybody would get along. He says, I've come to tell you the dirty dark, ugly, stinking truth about you. You're a mess. You are a mess. You live in a society that is a mess. You believe things that are not true continually, and you need to see the truth. And in this letter, Paul starts to say about Satan, how he has blinded the eyes of everyone that doesn't believe. Blinded their eyes. I don't know about you, but I understand this concept of somebody not understanding something. I've had conversations with countless people where I am telling them 
about my faith and about what I have experienced in Christ, and they're looking at me like they're listening, but they're not recognizing what I'm saying. It's not ringing true. My friends, there is this unbelievable transaction that has to take place between God and man for our eyes to be opened. The Bible says that no one can come to God unless God initiates this transaction. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws them to himself. We've called this building gravity because every single one of us who's come to a place of faith in Christ can identify with one consistent theme that we've all experienced. And that theme is this undeniable knowledge that God was drawing us to himself. In my situation, I ran like crazy. I felt it and I pushed back and I said, no, I'm not gonna give in. I don't want what you've got, God. I don't wanna do what you're asking me to do. I had preconceived ideas. I had fear. I was under bondage. I was listening to lies. I was seeing other things and going, well, if that's what it's gonna be like, I don't want that. I mean, I had all kinds of stuff. And when God started calling me and pulling me to himself, I resisted with everything that I had. Didn't wanna give in. And some of you have felt that same fight. Some of you have gone through that same struggle. And then others of you have felt the complete opposite. You've lived your life in such a way to where you didn't know anything about what God was about. You had no idea. And when God started to gently call your name and pull you towards him, it was as if the whole world was becoming a better place. And you were just, oh, God, I can't resist this love. It's amazing. But what I'm saying is the response on our end can be all over the map. But the consistency is that he pulls us. He draws us. Like gravity being the very center of our world that we live in, it just spins and it keeps us grounded. God is at the center of this whole universe and he is pulling us to himself continually. And it's as if there's a gravitational pull that we cannot say no to. We can't deny. We've got to eventually give in to it. And when we begin to understand what exactly we are dealing with, we have to begin to bring God into the situations of everybody in our life because their eyes are blind and we need God to speak their name to begin to open them. Have those conversations with people and you try to talk to them, but it's not happening pray. Begin praying and saying, God, come into this situation. Come into this person's life. Come into this this whole arrangement, God, and begin waking them up. Cause them, God, to come awake because chances are they have believed the same lie that mankind has been believing ever since the beginning, that there's something else besides God that will satisfy There's a prophet named Jeremiah. The Bible refers to him actually as the weeping prophet because this guy had a tough job. He was living in a day and age, in a time where God spoke to him and said, Jeremiah, I want you to be my voice to man. 
I want to use your very mouth to speak my word so that when people encounter you, they will hear my voice coming out of your mouth. Jeremiah, I'm going to tell you what to say, and I want you to say it explicitly, whatever I put in your mouth to say. And one of the things, the very first things that God made Jeremiah understand is that he was dealing with a group of people who had made idols. And God said these things. He says, they worship idols that they have made with their very own hands. In other words, what God was saying is, they are choosing themselves instead of choosing me. They are choosing what they can provide for themselves and calling it okay, calling it satisfactory, calling it what I need. Whatever my hands can create, it doesn't matter. Take your pick. Whatever your hobby is, whatever you're enthusiastic about, whatever your passions are for, you put your hands to it, you create your world, and then you worship it. You create your existence, whether it's your job or your hobby or your family or your whatever. You create your world and then you look at it and you worship it. And you think that it's going to give you what you need. And God says to Jeremiah, they're worshiping things that they've made with their own hands. And it is the biggest lie that you and I fall for over and over and over. It doesn't stop when you become a follower of Christ, unfortunately. Satan continues to try to lie. It doesn't stop when you get into ministry. I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to who have believed the lie that says, if you just build your church, if you just get your church big and successful and, and do all these things, then you'll feel better about yourself. It's the same old lie packaged in a different way. Making your own world with your own hands and then turning it into your savior, turning it into your idol. And Jesus came to empty our hands of the saviors that we make. Jesus came and he says, I've come to tell you the truth. You're believing lies. You're worshiping things that are not there to be worshiped. You're making a reality for yourself that is not going to end well. And he says, open your hands. I want to take these false saviors out of your hands. I want to take these things out and I want to show you what the truth is. I want to show you that there is life available for you. God wants you to have life. Many of us have all kinds of different saviors that we worship. We wouldn't call it that. We would never refer to it as our savior, but think about the effects. How many of you would do just about anything to be accepted? You walk into a situation, a social environment, and you feel people looking at you and you feel, oh, they don't like me, they don't accept me, and you're willing to do just about anything on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about putting masks on. Not the real me, but it's the me that I have to be so that everybody will accept me. We're talking about how hard it is to get free from that and to be genuine and to be real and to be authentic. What about the savior of pleasure? You're enticed, you're tempted, and you go, oh, I gotta have that. And you'll do anything to satisfy that temptation that lust, you'll go for it. You'll go after it because you worship it. 
because you're giving it something. You're giving it power in your life. And Jesus says, come on, empty your hands. Self-dependence, your self-reliance. I can take care of myself. Jesus says, there's nothing but me. I want you to have me. In John chapter 15, we hear some more really harsh words from Jesus. I'm just on a roll of happy night, ain't I? John chapter 15 and verse 18, Jesus says these amazing words. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He says the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer a part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world, and that's why it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. And since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, well, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuses for their sin. And anyone who hates me also hates my father. Jesus says, if I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could possibly do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, and yet they still hate me and my father. And this fulfills what is written in their scriptures, that they hated me without cause. But then Jesus shifts this just slightly. And in verse 26, he says this to us. He says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and he will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. This passage that Jesus is talking about, he says some really crazy things. He says, the world is going to hate you because the world hates me. He says, when you choose to follow me, they are going to reject you because everything I stand for is completely opposite of what they are. Jesus, we start out tonight by saying, Jesus comes into the world. And he says, I'm going to show you the truth. I'm going to expose you to what's really going on. I'm going to open your eyes and you're going to wake up and you're going to see how things really are. And then he says, if you will choose to follow me, the world will hate you as a result of it. Man, that's tough. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be hated. It's not on my list of things to do. I don't have really any enemies that I can think of. I've worked hard to be at peace with all men. I have a few people that we don't see eye to eye in life, but I don't think anybody that I know hates me. And if they did, I would go and I would try to make it right. What is Jesus talking about here? Why such harsh words? Why such strong language when he says these things? Jesus is wanting us to understand the severity of our starting point. 
He is wanting us to understand the severity of our sin and of our need for a Savior. He is wanting for you and I to understand that there isn't even a small chance of us being able to fix ourselves. We don't have it in us. We can't be taught a better way. We can't read a book that says, hey, you know, you started off and you kind of had a few bad raps, but you know, you can better yourself. Jesus says, without me, you have nothing, zilch, nada. There's not a chance for you. And I've got, you've got to understand the distinction of where you started in. Our old way of life, for those of us that have come to Christ, for those of us that have given our hearts to Christ, our old way of life is not to be a blending of our new way of life where we just say, you know, I used to do this and I used to believe this and I used to act this way and now Jesus says it's this way so let's just kind of marry him in the middle and let's just kind of do this blending. He's like, they don't mix, not even a little bit. There's nothing in these two worlds that have anything to do with each other. And he says, as a matter of fact, it's even worse than that. He says, once you come from this world of darkness into this world of light, this world stands back with hatred for you. It doesn't want anything that you stand for. Now, it's very, very important that you and I understand that Jesus is not talking about people when he says the word, the world. Jesus is not saying the world is a group of people. Because you and I, we think in terms of the world is people. It's like this big group of people and they're, ah, you know, they hate you. No. Jesus is not talking about people when he's talking about the world. He is talking about the spirit of the enemy that has been loosed on this planet that is bringing darkness and destruction and holding people captive and making them blind and making them deceived and just everything about their life being completely corrupted with darkness. It is a spirit that hates everything that you and I stand for. It is a spirit that hates the light. When Jesus makes the statement that he came into the world the world didn't recognize him and it didn't want him. He's talking about the spirit that was completely rampant on this planet that had taken captive many of our brothers and sisters. And when Jesus draws this distinction right here, right now, he says, there are people who are dominated by the spirit of this world. And as a result, they will not see the truth. But it is very important that we understand that they are not the spirit of the world. They have been affected and taken captive by it. And Jesus loves them. And he wants them, every single one of them. Jesus came because he loved the world. Jesus came because he wanted salvation for everyone. He wanted everyone to come to know who he is in a way that would be true to them. And that's why in this powerful statement, when Jesus is saying, they will hate you, they will be opposed to you, they will persecute you, they will make fun of you, they won't want anything that you have to do, right in the middle of all of it, Jesus says, but 
I will send the spirit of truth into the middle of this situation. When you're feeling the heat and the anger and the angst and you're wanting, you're wanting to, to recoil and run, he says, don't do it. I will send the spirit of truth into the situation. And he says, he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of God will tell you all about me. He's going to tell you when they lie, what to say back. When you feel the anger and the animosity, the spirit of truth will tell you what the truth in that situation is. Because my friends, in every single situation that we find ourselves in, there is a lie and then there is a truth. And sometimes they are side by side and we have to be able to choose, what am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the truth or am I going to listen to the lie? And the enemy tries his best to put them as close together as possible so that our choices is very hard to make out the difference between the, truth, the two. But Jesus says, I will fill you with the spirit of truth so that you will know what is really going on in every situation in your life. These lies are powerful. These lies are sometimes overwhelming how they grab a hold of us. We just got done praying for Chuck and Karen and Corey, who are in the middle of just a really, really difficult time on a lot of different levels for them personally. And every single step of the way, they have to make choices whether they're going to believe the truth or whether they're going to believe a lie. What are the truth? What are the lies? Well, the truth is, even though they're tired, even though they haven't been able to work so money is tight, even though it doesn't appear that their son is getting better but he's actually getting worse, the truth is, is that God hasn't gone anywhere and God is right there with them and God is going through it with them every step of the way. The lie is, God, where are you? God, why do I feel like you're not hearing me? God, why do I feel all alone? God, why, why aren't you doing something? They can be right next to each other. And we have to be able to choose which one we're going to believe. What does it look like in your life? Well, we started off by looking at a scripture that said, when trouble comes your way, consider that it might be an opportunity. So when trouble comes your way, it is without a doubt the biggest time in your life for you to choose whether you will listen for God or whether you will believe a lie that this world has completely bought into. See, all you have to do is not listen to God and you've already believed a lie. It's default. My friends, this world is a lie. If you don't choose Christ, if you don't choose to believe him, you've already made the choice to believe the lie. In every situation, it goes that way. There's a scripture that says that anything that you do without faith, it's sin. In other words, every step I take, every decision I make, every, everything I find myself in, I gotta bring God into it. I gotta involve God in the situation. I have to have confidence that comes from knowing that God is right here right now or else 
I might as well not be wasting my time. Many of us here tonight, I don't know all of your situations and you don't know mine, but I believe that you're here tonight and I believe that you're hearing these words tonight because God wants for you to see things in a very black and white way. Everything sometimes seems so gray and hazy and God is wanting to say, no, it's black and it's white. Here's the line, here's the distinction. And we've read some super, super stark scripture tonight that shows that Jesus came to bring clarity. He came to show us where things are. And some of you in your life right now, I believe this with all my heart, you have a lot of things that are in gray areas and you're looking at them and you're just going, hey, you know, I don't really know. No. God wants to speak to you, black and white, yes or no. Do this and don't do that. And draw that distinction in your life. And the reason that he does that for us is because God has something for us. And in order for us to see it, and in order for us to hear it, and in order for us to be able to accomplish it or bring it into our life, we have to be obedient. There's nothing that ever happens in our life without obedience. So I want you to take a moment right here, right now, and I want you to let God talk to you about whatever situation it is that you're facing, and then I want you to be obedient to what you hear. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, in your walk with God, in your relationship with God, you have a choice right now to listen. I invite you to take a moment and listen. God, right now I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, in a way that we would recognize your voice. Lord, I pray for listening ears right now, God. I pray for hearts that would be open. I pray, Jesus, that you would make yourself real to us right now. I pray that, God, that you would show us what it is in our life that you're touching on, what you're saying, what you're doing. Show it to us, Lord. Jesus, we declare our need for you. Lord, I say it up here publicly, but God, I speak for everybody in this room. God, we cannot satisfy ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do what it takes to make ourselves right with God. We cannot even make ourselves happy without you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being direct. Thank you for not playing games with us, God. Thank you for showing us as a good parent would when his children was in danger that we needed you and how severe the danger really is for us. God, I pray that you would just do what you do best and that's just open our hearts up. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to GravityChurch.com. 